Again, it's great to be with you all this morning, and thank you so much just for your prayers and support. We could not do uh, what we do on the campus. We could not reach students with the gospel and equip students to serve in the church were it not for the generous generosity of churches like you, like Grace and Peace. So thank you very much. This morning we're going to look at uh, Philippians 4, starting in verse 10, and it, it's a... Philippians really is a book. It's often called the letter of joy. Uh, Paul begins it and ends it with thanksgiving. I mean, he begins it saying, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. And at the end, he's thanking the Philippians for a gift they've sent through their brother Epaphroditus. And I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. But I think Paul finds himself in this situation where you receive a gift um, that maybe you didn't exactly need. Uh, he says in here, I'm, I'm well supplied. I don't need another gift. You know, Paul takes 10 verses to kind of say thank you uh, to, this, to this church that, that may or may not have been struggling financially. We don't know where they were at. But uh, it, it's hard being in that situation. Right before Christmas, my wife and I received a gift from someone, and it was really nice. It was a really nice, it was a gift card to a really nice restaurant, and they said they would babysit our kids. And that's a really nice gift coming from any, I mean, over a just really thoughtful, but the person that gave us this, was actually two people, we know did not have a lot of extra money. And it was really humbling. It's really hard to receive a gift like that. You almost don't know what to say because we have to say like well, we, we didn't need you know we didn't need this you don't you don't have to do this and, and Paul here is saying you know I'm well supplied and and, and more thanksgiving is hard and, and that's what Paul is conveying in this passage he's writing he's finishing this letter to the Philippians saying thank you I'm really thankful but he's also teaching them something that he's learned he's teaching them about what it means to battle covetousness, to battle jealousies, teaching them about what it means to be content in Jesus. I have learned to be content in all situations. He says, I've learned how to be brought low. I've learned how to abound, plenty and hunger. And so if you're here this morning and you're struggling with contentment, if you're not content with your job or your lack of a job or you're not content with the way you've started the new year or the way your family is, then Paul this morning has a word for you. So let me read for us Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. 
Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is mighty and you are on high. You are a righteous and holy king. And so, Father, we come before you humbly because of our sin, and yet we come boldly because of the blood of our sinless Savior, Jesus. And we come this morning asking you, Lord, to meet us. Lord, we have all struggled with being content, even this week and even this morning. Father, in the midst of that, we pray that you would grant us a contentment in Christ that cannot be offered by the things of this world. Make us and mold us into the image of your Son. We pray this in his name. Amen. When was the last time you were content? Not content for the first five seconds of taking a bite of a delicious meal or opening up a gift, but when was the last time you were content for longer than 30 minutes or longer than maybe five minutes? It's hard, isn't it? Paul talks a lot about this topic at the end of this letter because this is a hard topic. It's what ends the Ten Commandments. In fact, Paul in Romans will say that the last commandment slayed him. He didn't know he was a sinner until he read, you shall not covet. It really gets at our heart, doesn't it? When we're exposed with what we're finding our satisfaction in, what we are delighting in. And that's why what Paul says is so provocative. I have learned to be content in whatever situation. Abounding, brought low, in plenty, or in want. He's learned the secret of all this, and it's contentment in Christ Jesus. A contentment that far exceeds, you know, our, our version of contentment is often far smaller than, than what Christ offers. I don't know about you, but when I think of like a picture of contentment, it's often, this time of year, maybe it's like close to a fire with a book or a show and it's quiet. Or maybe for you, maybe not so much now, but maybe before Christmas, it was maybe just that image of a Christmas dinner with family, with people that you love. Maybe for you at the beach or a hammock in the woods. What Paul here is talking about is something actually far greater than circumstances. Something far greater than this world can offer. Clearly, the Philippians are struggling with this to some extent because right before this passage, he tells them, do not be anxious about anything. 
And, and to close this passage, he says, and my God will supply your every need in Christ Jesus. Those two verses bookend this passage about contentment. And, and Paul is driving home the importance of this And he's also displaying for his people that the enjoyment of material abundance is not the basis of contentment. Why? Because for Paul and the Philippians and for us, we can be so quick to try and find contentment in things that are actually not designed to give us contentment. And for you, that might be certain circumstances. Uh, it, it might be attending a certain event or being seen at a certain event or, or maybe having your kids be seen at a certain event or th- them getting into a program or are you getting that raise? And, and, and oftentimes, so much of the anxiety we face in this life can be about maybe placing ourselves in the right circumstances. And if we're not in the right circumstances, we have all these scenarios played out in our head of what may or may not happen, and it can leave us anxious. But not only circumstances, it's things, too. You know, you know we're, we're products of a culture, and we contribute to a culture that screams at us, you do not have enough. You need I mean, gosh, it's on full, it was on full blast for the past month. You know, you don't have enough. You need this. Your kids need this. Your loved one needs this new phone. They need this new app. You need a better waistline. You didn't know you need this car, but you actually need this car. Um, the, the greatest example of this, I remember getting an iPhone a couple of years ago, and this is when iCloud storage came about. It was brand new, and I didn't even know it existed. And then a few weeks later, I got a notification on my phone that I've run out. I've run out of this thing that I didn't even know I had and I didn't know I needed and I still get notifications every week. Listen to this quote. The key to economic prosperity is the organized creation of dissatisfaction. The key to economic prosperity is the organized creation of dissatisfaction. That could have been yesterday's quote. It wasn't. It was written in 1929 by the CEO of General Motors. But it, it is easy just to blame the bad marketers and the bad advertisers, but we know that they are only playing to the seeds of dissatisfaction that are in our own hearts. We know and they know that we are so quickly dissatisfied and that we are so quick to try and find satisfaction in something else. That is why Jesus says it's so hard for a rich man to enter heaven. Why? Because we are so quick to think that the enjoyment of material blessings, we're so quick to mistake that for true and lasting contentment. And in the midst of this, Paul says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need." That's a contentment that can't be touched. He's talking about his contentment can't be, if his circumstances change, if he lost his job tomorrow, if his friends abandoned him, if he was mocked, his contentment is there. It's secure. Isn't that a beautiful picture? 
We're so fickle. We're so prone to high highs and low lows all in a matter of 30 seconds because something changes or we think something might change. And that's why what Paul describes here is so beautiful and so provocative. And, and you might be thinking, if you're like me, you read this passage, you think, Lord, I want that. I want a contentment like that. I need a contentment like that. This passage brings us to confession, doesn't it? It exposes our heart. And yet, as one of my pastors once told me, he said, be careful what you pray for. When we pray for a contentment that Paul is describing, God in his mercy might actually remove something that we are finding our contentment in or might expose that thing or that person as unable or unfit to bear the weight of our expectations, to bear the weight of our joy, of our contentment. And God might, in his mercy and grace, take that away in order to drive us to Jesus in order that we might find no other substitute. We struggle to find contentment, but God will drive us to his son. Well, what, what, and that's the secret. That's the secret of contentment. It's a Sunday school answer. Well, what does Paul say? I've, I've learned the secret of facing contentment. In verse 13, what does he say? I can do all these things through Christ. I can be brought low and I can be abound. Why? Because of Christ. Because of a reliance upon the Lord. Now let me tell you, the most encouraging phrase in this passage is in there. Right before that he says, I have learned this. Paul didn't get converted on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden walk away immediately being content, finding content. We don't know... Paul doesn't go into great detail exactly how he learned this secret, but we do know from his letters that Paul went through a lot. And God taught him a lot, a lot of times in Paul's lowest moments. And you're probably familiar with 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul's describing he has this thorn in the flesh, and we don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh is, but it's preventing him from doing the very thing that Paul felt he was called to do, which is preach the gospel. And he prayed and prayed that God would remove this thing from him. And do you remember God's response to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. He who is weak in himself is strong in Christ and in his power. See, the reason Paul can face any situation and be strong is because of Christ. The reason he can actually go through great celebrations and achievements and accomplishments and not grow overly confident is because of Christ and the power that is at work in believers. I mean, we so often use verse 13 to kind of project what we can do. You know, I can do all these things 
through Christ who strengthens me. We so often attach that to our accomplishments. But what Paul here is saying is, I can lose 52 to nothing. And God actually is still sufficient. Christ is still sufficient. And I can win and trust that God will actually use that and make me and mold me and not let me grow too proud because of Christ. I can do both things and Christ is still sufficient. Ultimately, what this means is that regardless of your circumstances, whether you're here this morning and things are going really well and Christmas was really encouraging and there wasn't maybe the tension between family that you thought um, there might be and you're actually feeling rested and refreshed or, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe Christmas and New Year's and going back to work has been really hard for you. The secret of contentment is knowing and trusting Christ. Not just knowing that, knowing that Christ is trustworthy, but actually trusting that his plan is good and trusting that he does work all the things in your life for his good and your good and ultimately for his glory. See, true contentment, it, it, it doesn't mean the, the absence of conflict. It doesn't even mean um, the absence of anxiety. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 11, he, he, he struggled in times of anxiety. Contentment it is not the absence of those things, but it is a baseline trust in God the Father. There's a quote I put in um, the bulletin. It's from Melissa Kruger. She writes this. She said, Contentment is not the fruit of perfect circumstances or a calm constitution. It's the result of trusting in the Lord. Paul faced fear, anxiety, physical dangers, and ministry difficulties, just like we all do. Yet he faces these struggles prayerfully with a deep assurance in the goodness of God with a deep assurance in the goodness of God. That might be where your struggle is this morning, is that, yeah, things are hard, or or maybe you're here and you're, you're thinking, yeah, I know, I know I can't put my trust in the things of this world, but how do I know I can trust God? How can I have a deep assurance in the goodness of God that would actually lead me to pray to him, to find contentment in him, And we can trust this God because he himself took on flesh. It's what we just celebrated at Christmas. He himself took on flesh and in his whole life really was void of so many of the things we find contentment in. We We long for approval. We long for celebrity status. We long for earthly comforts. And yet the Son of Man didn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus was abandoned by his best friends. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He was accused falsely. And then on the cross, not only was he stripped of all the things we find contentment in, but he received the wrath of God for you. For those who had placed their faith in him. 
That is why we can have the assurance that our God is good. That, that, that's why we can trust that this contentment exists. Because you might be here this morning thinking, that is such a pie in the sky. You might be here thinking, I am so far from the contentment that Paul describes. There is no hope for me. And there is this morning because we have a God who saves. We have a God who is good. And who, like Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, who will finish the work that he started in you. He who started will finish it. And we can trust that because of his son, because of his suffering throughout his life and ultimately on the cross. That's what it means to find contentment in God, to trust that he's good, to prayerfully trust him. But what's the fruit of that? What does a content life look like? There's plenty of application here, but Paul kind of shows us two things in his own life and in the Philippians. One is that, that true gospel contentment, when we know God's goodness, not only when we know about it, but when, when we know his goodness towards us, towards you and towards me, it will push us into the lives of other people. And, and it'll actually push us into service for them. And you actually see that in the way the Philippian church and Paul have this relationship. He says, in the beginning of the gospel, a lot of commentators aren't exactly sure what he means when he says that in, in the beginning of the gospel, you know, you were one of the first churches to enter in to giving and receiving. What it likely means is, is that this church was the first church, the first city in Europe the gospel reached. And so from the very beginning of the gospel's reach, into what we call now modern-day Europe. This Philippian church was there. And notice what he says about their gift from Epaphroditus. This is really interesting. He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. This is in verse 18. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Their gift wasn't just a kind gesture. And notice that type of language he's using. He's describing their gifts. And we don't know what this was. It could have been blankets. It could have been food. It could have been money. He's writing from prison. So he needed all of those things. And he's just saying, your gift wasn't just generous. He's using language that would have been used to describe offerings in the temple. In the Old Testament. He's using language we find in Exodus and Leviticus. When we describe the sacrifices for our sin. And then actually, it's almost identical language to the New Testament reading that we read in Ephesians 5 too, where Christ's death is described as a fragrant offering, an aroma pleasing to our God, an aroma of fragrance. Our, our giving and our service to the church and to one another when we do that, that's not merely a nice thing that we do, but we're actually patterning our life after our Savior. It's a fruit of contentment. But another fruit of contentment is confidence in God. Notice how Paul closes this letter. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever Amen. Throughout the letter, if you read through Philippians, there, 
among the churches that Paul relates to, he has a really good relationship with them. They're a lot healthier than the uh, you know Corinthian church, uh, but they're struggling with, with various things. You know, they've got opposition. If you read one chapter one twenty seven through thirty, they're facing opposition in advancing the gospel. Uh, if you read chapter two verse one and, and even chapter four, the beginning, he talks about th- th- this. This disagreement between Euodia and Syntyche, they're, they're struggling with unity. They're struggling with division. They're struggling with opposition. Uh, Philippians 4, uh, verses 5 and 6 and 7, they're struggling with anxiety. And, and you know what Paul is saying? He's saying, in the midst of the opposition that you face, in the midst of your struggle to be unified as a church, in the midst of your anxiety, my God, your God, will supply every need of yours in Christ Jesus. It's similar to what we sang this morning when we sang, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. To those who are sinners, Jesus promises to be a savior. To those who are weak, he promises to be a strength. To those who are in sorrow, he promises to comfort. To those who are lost, he promises to be a guide and a keeper, a pilot. And so whatever form your struggle takes this morning, the promise we have in this letter and in the gospel is that our God will supply your every need in Christ Jesus. That... The things that we want so much in life, we, can't, we know in our heart of hearts we cannot have that sort of confidence. God alone is worthy of that sort of confidence. And God alone can transform even the feeblest and weakest of faith into a heart that actually trusts Him and is confident in Him and serves others because they know how deeply and how well they've been served and loved in Christ Jesus. We pray. Father, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would give us hearts that are content. Lord, we confess the ways we have tried to find contentment in other things, in circumstances, in goods, in the approval of others. Father, forgive us. And Lord, would you, in your goodness and kindness, reveal to us how beautiful and believable and trustworthy you are, that we would be so quick to run to you when we feel our hearts wander, that we'd be so quick to know your love for us, that it would drive us into the lives of others, that it would drive us to be generous and that would drive us to be confident, not in ourselves, but in you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our needs indeed are filled.